Showtime Sports presents Showtime Boxing with Eric Raskin and Kieran Mulvaney. Welcome to another edition of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney. Along with my co-host, Eric Raskin, I am Kira Mulvaney. Hello! <laughs> the new wrinkle I'm throwing in there. A little jaunty hello. I like it. It's, it sets yeah? me in the right mood for the rest of the podcast to start yeah. off with you being all jaunty. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, might, it might vary. There may be an ahoy-hoy in there every so often. Okay, I could, I could take an, an ahoy-hoy to go with a hello. I'll take all of that. Um, you know what else I, I, I wouldn't mind uh, is maybe have an entire 40-piece high school marching band lead us <laughs> into the podcast every week. That, that's how you do it. You know, like right. the, the ahoy hoy is, is good. Uh, the jaunty hello. That's all good. And of course, you know, Brian Custer's voice at the top is nice and our theme music right. is solid. These are all good things. But the full high school marching band, that's where it's at. Seth Nyman, make it happen. Exactly. Could you exactly. imagine if we walked into the press room for a Radio Row week with a marching band? Oh, I can imagine that. <laughs> well, if you can imagine it, then uh, then it can become reality. Yeah, I think that would go down incredibly well. Nobody <laughs> would be upset about that at all. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, coming up in just a bit on today's show, uh, no marching bands, uh, spoiler <laughs> alert. Uh, but we will be joined by a man who will fit right in here on Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney, uh, because in anticipation of his one day appearing on the podcast that what, that at the time didn't yet exist, he actually adopted the ring name Showtime. Yes, Showtime Sean Porter will be joining us to talk about his recent win over your Dennis Ugas or the other action in and around the red-hot welterweight division, including Saturday's big pay-per-view showdown between Errol Spence Jr. and Mikey Garcia. And after we've talked with Sean, Eric and I will cover some of the news around the boxing world and dip into the old mailbag. But we'll start off with our own look at what went down in the ring at Cowboy Stadium. Uh, is, it, is that what it called it now? I always forget what the heck it's called now. Is it AT&T Stadium, Cowboy Stadium, Texas mm. Stadium? Uh, the big the big giant thing that Jerry Jones built. Sure. it's. I believe it's uh, Home Depot Center now. It, it took that name. <laughs> that's right. That's right. From, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And then in 10 years, it'll be stuff up. It'll be great. Yeah. Anyway, in Arlington, Texas, on Saturday night, Errol Spence dominated Mikey Garcia, uh, shutting him out on all three cards. 120-108 twice. 120-107 on the third scorecard. Uh, this is not a fight where we'll be open by asking each other how we scored the fight. There's very little point to that. Um, but look, let's get back to the big talking point that was heading into the bout. And we talked about this last week. And that talking point is size. And it became a talking point again afterwards. Um, Eric, how much, let's get this out of the way, how much of what happened in the ring was the result of Errol Spence being a division or two larger than Mikey Garcia? In my view, very little. Uh, the reach mattered. The fact yep. that Spence was a little longer absolutely mattered in this fight. But beyond that, there was no evidence that weight factored in that Spence's punches were especially hurtful because he was bigger, that Garcia's punches were ineffective because he was too small. None of that. This fight came down, above all, to speed and footwork. Spence's hands were too fast, uh, and I don't know if Garcia added weight in a way that slowed him down a little, but I'm pretty confident Spence was going to be faster no matter what. Spence has elite hand speed, and he anticipated every punch Garcia was going to throw and took a little half step back out of range before Mikey could let the punch go. And so he was almost never in a position to get hit. And, and Mikey got 
really handcuffed. He wasn't throwing many punches because Spence wasn't going to be there. Um, he was obviously discouraged, despite his odd decision to pump his fist at the end of every round yeah. as if he'd accomplished something. Uh, but Spence, you know, while not electric to me in this fight, his talent wasn't necessarily jumping off the TV screen at you. It was kind of basic in his game plan. But to me, it was just too fast, too disciplined. The southpaw stance wasn't helping Garcia any uh, to have to deal with that. So, you know, size, probably somewhere down around number 10 on the list of yeah. reasons he won the fight. Um, and not just one, but really dominated. Uh, the CompuBox stats were among the most lopsided we've ever seen over 12 rounds. Spence outthrowing Garcia 1,082 to just 406 and outlanding him 345 to only 75. Of course, you didn't really need the stats to tell you that Garcia wasn't throwing enough. It was plain to see. Is there anything Mikey could have done differently to be more competitive in the fight? I, I guess there's more that he could have done, like, in theory, um, if you're just gaming it out from being a Monday morning quarterback or, or, or from the safety of ringside. But whether there's much more he could have done in practice, given who he had in front of him, uh, I think is a different matter. You know, I think one of the things is Garcia throughout his career he's been the superior boxer in the ring and on saturday night he wasn't uh, i i agree with you that the the big physical advantage that spence had was his reach that he used very very effectively mm -hmm. um but otherwise it was it wasn't that spence was bigger it was this better yep. um he had better hand speed um better footwork much better footwork actually um better game plan better everything really tremendous combinations and so given all of that particularly with the reach uh, it became clear early on that what Garcia needed to do was to try to walk through or slip under or around Spence's punches and work in close uh, and kind of make it a brawl. But that's not his game, first of all. And secondly, the problem for him is that Spence knew that that's what he had to do, and he negated it. There was that brief spell at the beginning of, was it round five, when Garcia did sort of try to do that, like managed to slip under some punches and try to close the gap and push Spence up against the ropes. But Spence, by the middle part of that round, Spence had neutralized it. Um, you know, there was one round where Garcia was reasonably effective. That was round two, yeah. um, where he tried to find success by stepping around and fainting and, and landing, um, you know, sort of, sort of behind Spence's punches. But by the third Spencer totally shut that down yep. um, by using that southpaw jab again to keep Garcia at, at range. Um, and I think the problem that Garcia had is that although he's long been a superlative boxer, and like I said, in pretty much every fight he's had, he's been the better boxer. He's one of those unusual sort of boxers in that he hasn't necessarily been a very nimble or fleet-footed boxer. He's been the guy who kind of comes forward behind good boxing skills, uses good upper body movement and good combinations to score, and uses especially good defense to negate his opponent. And that just didn't work against an opponent who could do all of the things that Garcia could do well and do them be not just as well as him, but I think better than him. And then you add in such things as he had better footwork and, and size advantage, the kind of things that Garcia didn't have. Um, but that issue, that issue of Garcia's defense and how he's used that very well, um, he did actually deploy that quite well. Uh, even during, even as Spence was landing uh, a number of, of punches, he was still able to just ever so slightly deflect quite a lot of those combinations. And that kind of brings us up 
to an, brings up another question that I have for you. So in the late rounds, there was talk on the broadcast about whether Garcia's corner might stop the fight, especially after the ninth round, where Spence really was dialing in and it just seemed like Garcia couldn't get away from it at all. Um, Joe Goosen observing from ringside that there was a moral victory to be claimed if Mikey Garcia could last the distance. Um, so which side do you come on here? Do you feel that Mikey deserves credit for going the full 12? Uh, or should Spence maybe get some criticism for not finishing on him off? Or do you think neither applies? Hmm. Um, I think there's a little bit of both. Uh, starting with Garcia, he gets some credit, but not a lot to me. Uh, he never truly went for it. And mm. and that weighs heavier on my mind than the toughness and savvy he showed to last the distance. Uh, had he gone all out, he probably still wouldn't have won, and he probably would have gotten knocked out. So I get the calculation on his part, um, but I'm, I'm only giving him a tiny bit of credit for survival. Mm. I would have given him more credit, I think, if he'd been like his brother Robert against Diego Corrales, going down swinging and losing on a late knockout, I think I would feel a little better about Mikey Garcia. He might not feel better about it, uh, but just in terms of his reputation and um, just sort of my impression of him coming out of the fight, I would feel a little better uh, about him had he gone down that way. As for criticism for Spence, he did seem to try to finish the fight in round 9, 10, 11. He certainly wasn't coasting, but yeah. there wasn't a lot of variety in his attack. I mean, the, now the body work counts as variety, and that was exemplary. He was really going to the body well. But in terms of his punches to the head, it was all jab left hand, jab left hand. I think maybe if he'd thrown a greater variety of combinations, some uppercuts, more right hooks... Maybe he gets the knockout. Um, so to me, you know, this is not an A-plus performance for Spence, as dominant as he was. To me, it's more like an A-minus, even after he won basically every round against mm. a pound-for-pound -pound guy. Um, and speaking of pound-for-pound, -pound, I'm curious, how does this fight change your pound-for-pound -pound rankings? And, and somewhat of a related question, w would you say Spence became a star by beating Mikey? <sighs> Did he become a star? Uh, well, as the difficulty you always have in boxing, of course, is, well, how do you define star? Um, right. So it's fair to say it was his biggest performance on his biggest stage against his biggest name opponent, and he came through it comfortably. Uh, so there's that. Uh, I think it turned some doubters. Uh, there were people who picked Mikey Garcia, and I think it turned some of them, perhaps a lot of them, into believers. But to follow on from the point that you just made, there was still some you know, criticism of him not finishing and they're finishing Garcia. And there is still the little bit of pushback over the fact that, you know, not only did he not finish his opponent, but his opponent was a naturally smaller man. Right. Um, so to me, I don't know that he made the leap to stardom here. Um, perhaps had it been on mainstream broadcast Fox and mm. 5 million people had seen it, perhaps. But uh, it got a lot of attention. I noticed that there were a lot of more general kind of sports observers and sports writers who don't normally do boxing who did write about this. And so I think it's bit by bit. I don't know that this was a, 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 a catapult into stardom, but it moved him up a couple of rungs um, in terms of getting attention, people being aware of him and being aware of his skills. Uh, so for me, it was a pretty good progression. Uh, as for pound for pound, I'm not really 
diligent at maintaining pound for pound list these days. Um, for me, it feels like he's in the top seven. It feels to me that there are about seven people who have a little bit of a gap. Um, I have Lomachenko number one and Crawford number two. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think there's like five really good people behind them who you could put, well, not quite in any order, but I've got Canelo, Triple G, Inoue, Usyk, and then Spence. And I might have spent seventh out of those seven. Um, and he does have the potential to move higher, I think, and to become a bigger star if he uses this. This isn't like sort of the, the end of the, this is sort of the end of the beginning, if you were like, he's, <laughs> this is, you know, like he's, right. now, now this is the opportunity to, the platform's all there now. And, and now it's a question of, can he finally, we talked last week, how he hadn't really got very many or if any big name opponents uh, on his record so far, he's got one now. And then the question is, who can he get next? Um, to which end, after the fight, he called out a very big name, Manny Pacquiao. Uh, Manny came into the ring, said he'd be up for the fight, although he's very Manny about it. Yep. <laughs> and is, you know, I'm just happy to be in Dallas and I love the people. So <laughs> it's hard to tell how sincere he was or whether he was just smiling and saying, you know, what was the right thing. Um, so there are two questions here. And I think I know the answer to both of them. But number one is, is Manny Pacquiao the right fight for Spence? And number two is, is it the right fight for Pacquiao? Uh, for Spence, yes. For Pacquiao, no. Were the, were yeah, those the answers you were anticipating? Yeah, yeah. Um, it seems to me like Manny just isn't very good at saying no publicly. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, behind the scenes, he might well right at this moment be telling his people to look for other fights. Um Keith Thurman just makes so much more sense for Manny to me. Uh, I assume the money is similar for fighting Thurman to what it would be for fighting Spence, and it feels like a winnable fight. I don't think Spence is winnable. I think Spence dishes out a beating. Uh, he's, just, he's just all wrong for Manny at age 40. Uh, so it follows that that's a great fight for Spence. You know, the ultimate name to add to his resume at what I consider relatively low risk. But as a fan... Spence Pacquiao certainly isn't my first choice. Um, Let's hit quickly on the undercard fights. Uh, We've seen David Benavidez several times now, but I've never seen him look quite as good as he did against J. Leon Love. Uh, Got the second round knockout. I was dazzled by his hand speed and how good he was at close range with those long arms of his. Fantastic at close range. Were you as impressed as I was, Karen? Yes, I was. Uh, he looked relentless, didn't he? I mean, mm. he he looked like a big, solid guy to to start off with, and he just looked. He was a guy who was just going to come forward and do his business, and nothing was going to get a get in the way there. I I thought it was an excellent performance. Jay Leon Love, certainly not an elite opponent, but a durable guy, generally speaking. Um, right. so the fact that he just just blasted him out of there, um, and you know, Love protested a little bit afterwards, saying, you know, I I thought I was still good to go, but that was actually a fine stoppage. Um, uh, very very impressive. Um, I love the idea of him facing off against your best buddy Caleb Plant or <laughs> um or Anthony Durrell seems mm-hmm. to be obviously the the the, the matchup that both guys are really looking for though or really just about any other the top guys and, and what's a pretty exciting division um right now uh also impressive in his u.s debut uh luis neri uh blowing out again another usually sturdy foe mcjoe arroyo with four knockdowns in four rounds um is neri we talked about pound for pound earlier is neri a guy we should be considering for possible entry onto those lists 
I don't think he should be cracking anyone's top 10 yet. He, he doesn't have the resume to me, but he's in that group of up-and-comers who are maybe one meaningful win or one head-turning performance away. Uh, he's obviously very strong for the weight class and hits ridiculously hard, but his talent doesn't bowl you over like Naoya Inoue's does. Um, speaking of Inoue, boy, that's... That's an amazing fight if it can be made. Right. Those two guys and uh, our, our pal Cliff Rold has been nerding out for a while now about that possibility. <laughs> and after watching Neri destroy Arroyo, I get it. Uh, he's he, he, he's he's going places. Not in consideration for my pound for pound yet, but wouldn't be surprised to see him get there somewhat soon. Um, in the opening bout, uh, Chris Ariola made quick work of Jean-Pierre Augustine, stopping him in the third round. Did you see anything to be encouraged about with Ariola, or was this just a case of Augustine providing insufficient resistance? Yeah, that's hard to say. I mean, Augustine looked not good. Um, and <laughs> Ariola, very, gen- very could... gentle of you. Right. Well, and the thing with Chris Ariola, you can always say he's always been very good at just swatting away subpar guys um, before, you know, looking normal or worse against those who who you know have the heart and chin and skills to take what he delivers and, and give him back um so that's hard to say uh, it, it wasn't much opposition there from augustine but i will say that Ariola looked to be in about as good shape as he's been in for a while uh sure. he, he was clearly you know determined to to show up and, and make a real effort here um i don't really see him making any meaningful noise in the division at this stage of his career um i would hate to see him against Deontay Wilder or that like for example yeah, I'd absolutely that, hate that that but, would not go well no but he can be even though he'd be the underdog against say the Dylan White Derek Chisora kind of level fighters that would still be a good fight he'd still be a good name opponent for that level below those top guys I still wouldn't make him a favorite for any of those but if he could stay in shape he'd he'd be a very good measuring test for those guys. I wouldn't like to see him stick around for too long. He's been around for quite a, ra- a, a while now, and he, he's been in some tough fights. But it looks like he's he's got enough in him to, to go a little while longer against the right opposition. Yeah, he's 38 years old now, so probably not too much longer. But uh, yeah, so what, what you basically just described, that he could make a good B-side for the guys who are good B-sides for the very yeah. top guys. I, exactly. I could see him playing that role. Yeah. All right. Well, Eric and I could talk for hours about Errol Spence and Mikey Garcia and the welterweight division and professional boxing generally without saying anything as informed over those hours as our next guest is likely to come up with in about 30 seconds. Uh, We are joined now by a man who is part of the Fox pay-per-view broadcast on Saturday night, who is one of the title holders in the welterweight division and who, as we will talk about later, was called out in the ring after the fight by Saturday's winner, Errol Spence, welcome to the Showtime Boxing Podcast, Showtime, Sean Porter. Hey, what's up, fellas? How you guys doing? (laughs) Pretty good. Thanks for joining us, man. Look, there's so much to talk about in this welterweight division. Um, The Spence-Garcia fight is on everyone's mind right now, but um, let's start. Let's go back a couple weeks uh, to your fight on March 9th against Jordanis Ugas. Little bit of a close call. Uh, you got the split decision. Were you satisfied with your performance, uh, or was Ugas perhaps a little better than you expected heading into the fight? You know, I don't think Ugas was better than I expected. I think he uh, he you know he did some different things in the ring that I didn't expect him to do. 
but overall, I think, you know, I didn't pitch a shutout performance on my behalf. I don't think I did that. Obviously, the uh, scorecards didn't didn't reflect that. But, you know, my corner was uh, was satisfied and, 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 you know, had me winning the fight uh, with no problem. So, yeah, it was quite a surprise to hear that it was a, a split decision at the end of the fight. The only thing I could figure was a draw, and I was I was really hoping it wouldn't be a draw um, because nobody likes a draw. Right. So one thing that stood out, uh, not just in that fight, but in your previous fight as well, is you trying to box more and rumble inside maybe a little bit less. Um, although uh, I would say in the Danny Garcia fight, it was when you got more aggressive that you really took over. So you're showing your versatility, but it also seems like you're at your best when you're coming forward and forcing the action, sort of classic Showtime Sean Porter style. Would you agree or disagree with that assessment? You know, I can't disagree with that. And I think that, uh, you know, two different fighters with just a tad bit different style. I think uh, both both fighters were expecting me to be aggressive, but I think Ugas is – is was was very firm in, in his game plan, which was he's which was expecting me to come, and for the course of twelve rounds, that's all he wouldn't he would not let go of anything other than coming to get him, which is what he was expecting. Um, Danny Garcia, I got him, you know, after a few rounds of him realizing that I was going to box, he started to really step towards me, which was able, which which you know what opened up the uh, – created the openings for me to outbox him, and then I was able to kind of turn the tide. He wasn't expecting me to come at, the, come at him, and then so the aggression became more effective. Mm. I think we were we were wanting to set that up against Ugas, but, you know, him being a, a great Cuban fighter, those guys are very, very consistent at uh, paying attention and following the game plan and uh, and doing what they what they're told to do. And I think, you know, the fight against Ugas, he was told that I was going to come after him. And no matter what I did, he, he would not he would not adjust to me boxing him. He wouldn't step forward enough, and he, and, and he wasn't aggressive enough, which is what, you know, we thought was the, was the difference in me winning, you know, most of the rounds was, you know, we thought that I was out boxing him and, and moving and, and really, you know, landing some good, um, some good jabs and, and good punches overall through the course of, just about every round, and, you know, obviously the, the judges didn't see it that way, but, you know, I'm still a, w, a WBC champion. So you did have a little bit of trouble making weight for the fight. You actually actually clipped off some of your hair in the end to make sure you got there. Um, Is there any thought to having to move up to 154 at some point, or is this just one of those, one of those deals where you just maybe miscalculated a little bit, missed by a pound, it'll be fine the next time? Well, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna first off, I'm gonna say this. I'm looking forward to fighting uh, Errol Spence. Errol Spence is a 147 pound fighter, and so am I. Uh, when it comes time for me to fight Spence, uh, I will make weight with no problem. Uh, I'm, a, I am a 147 pound fighter. I'm a big 147 pound fighter, but uh, I do know what it takes to make the weight, and I know how to make the weight. And yeah, this time around, it, it was a little miscalculation between my scale and, and the official scale, mm. which was something I didn't get a chance to get on until the official uh, weigh-in. Um, but uh, I think that, you know, that was a small hiccup and, and definitely a lesson learned on, on my behalf. All right. So you clearly want to talk about about Spence. Let's transition to that. Let's talk about his fight 
with Garcia. Um, you were, of course, part of the Fox broadcast team for the pay-per-view. And on the broadcast, you correctly predicted a Spence victory. But were you surprised by how one-sided it was? It was very one-sided. I think he he did some things to just offset uh, Mikey Garcia's boxing ability. I think in, in, in some ways, not just physically, but also mentally, he was able to break down Mikey Garcia and, and, and create a, a, uh, a sense of um, discouragement, I, in, in my opinion, in, in Mikey's mind, even though after every round he raised his hand. I think after every round him raising his hand was kind of him trying to push himself forward to do more mm-hmm. each round, but that, that he was never able to develop a, a, any type of rhythm, any type of uh, game plan that he came to the ring with. None of it was was ever um was ever pressed upon on, on Mikey's behalf and I just think that uh Errol Spence did a terrific job from the opening bell of controlling the ring, from the opening bell of, of controlling the range and the distance and, and also the, the, the rate the, the, the uh the pace of the fight. He he did a terrific job last night. Yeah, so do you think, you know, one of the talking points obviously going into the fight, during the fight and then again afterwards was the issue that Okay, look, Mikey was moving. He's really a lightweight. He's fought a couple of times at 140. This is a smaller guy taking on a bigger guy. But it wasn't that Errol Spence was bigger, was it? It was just it was that he was the better guy on Saturday night, wasn't it? He was. He was. He was absolutely 100% better than Mikey Garcia uh, last night. He uh, top to bottom did it just a terrific job, and you cannot take anything away from him beating a fighter that moved up. Uh, two weight classes to fight him. This guy called him out. This guy said that he had what it took to beat him, and this guy made the 147-pound weight limit. Uh, furthermore, the next day he was 152 pounds, which mm. lets you know that he was mm. a lot bigger than most people expected him to be going into the ring. So mm. This was not a, a case of um, you know, a, a, a giant beating a, a midget. This was just simply a case of uh, one guy being a champion, having uh, more superior skills than another guy being champion. Uh, not that he has more superior skill, but yesterday he showed that he does. That he does. So um, he did a terrific job, um, Arrow Spence. Now, Spence is not typically a trash talker, but after the fight, when your name came up, he somewhat surprisingly said you, quote, can't sell out a family dinner. Uh, never mind the fact that I hope you would never charge money for a family dinner. I'm not sure what, what he meant exactly by that. But um, do you have any idea what that's all about, him trash talking you like that? And how do you respond to Errol saying that? Well, you know what? I, first off, I thought that that was a genius joke. I, 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 I have to applaud him for that. Joke. I, I, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm not patronizing him at all. When he said that, I absolutely laughed because okay. I understand what he. I understand exactly what he means by that. Um, but at the end of the day, he's fighting another world championship fighter, and that's how he was able to sell forty-seven thousand seats over there in, in Dallas. I, I, on the other hand, fought a fighter that was not very known by, by even the, the boxing world. And I fought him in 50, negative 50 degree weather. People just did not feel comfortable being out there. They didn't want to be out there. And he fought the week after me. If you have to make a decision whether or not you're going to go see Sean Porter beat up on somebody you don't don't even know or, or make a decision to go to Texas to see a, a great fight and two great fighters, 
what's the decision that you're going to make, you know? So right. I, even me, myself, I, I understood fully what I was getting myself into when I, when the fights were announced that he was going to fight after, the week after me, I said, oh shit, he's going to take some of the fans that would come to a, my fight because they're, people just don't have the expenses. They have to pick one and they're going to pick that fight because it was the bigger fight. Uh, none, nonetheless, uh, now he has the opportunity to fight another world championship fighter, another fighter in his weight class, just as big as him, just as strong as him, and myself. And uh, like I told him on air, if Manny Pacquiao is dragging his feet, don't worry about it. We said this way back in September. This is the easiest fight to be made in boxing. Let's go ahead and make it. And I meant that. So you mentioned Manny Pacquiao. And it certainly seemed immediately afterwards that that's the fight that he would most want. And that certainly makes sense from a money perspective, obviously. Um, yeah, it makes sense. But first, two questions. First of all, do you think that's a, even a competitive fight? And where would that leave you if, you know, if he's calling out Pacquiao and you've got Keith Thurman's calling out Pacquiao? Everybody wants to fight Panny Pacquiao right now. Where does that leave you? Every, every little, you know, first off, everybody wants to fight Manny. I think they think he's over the hill. And they think that that's going to be, you know, that, that iconic victory for them if mm. they were to, to get in the ring and and, and beat uh, Manny Pacquiao. I think Manny Pacquiao versus Errol Spence is a, is a very interesting fight. Two southpaws going against each other, uh, you know, uh, pretty much the same um, size. Obviously, uh, Manny being a, a, a tad bit smaller, but what, what he makes up, with his with his size, he what what he lacks in his size, he makes up with his experience, his quickness, his speed, his agility, things like that. So there, there's always something that that can offset uh, what what a what a fighter does very 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 well in in Errol Spence. So I do I think that that is a, a great fight to be made, and uh, if that fight's not made, uh, of course you know <laughs> if somehow some way Manny says uh, I'd rather fight Sean Porter than Errol Spence. Sean Porter is going to move forward and fight Manny Pacquiao instead of Errol Spence. I think, you know, right now, I think it for everyone in the welterweight division to to be able to get in the ring with uh, a living legend is, you know, there's not enough that could be said about that. You know, and you know, also, you know, again, he's, you know, he kind of on his last leg, even though he looked great and looked like he, you know, dropped from the fountain of youth against uh, Adrian Browner. He, he, you know, he's he's that guy right now who everybody's picking on to uh, to kind of, you know, not just make a name off of, but, you know, have the, the performance of a lifetime, you know. So Manny is the guy right now, man. He's the guy everybody wants. You know, uh, before Floyd Mayweather went away, he was the guy we all wanted. Mm. Right. Um, so there's one top welterweight whose name hasn't come up here yet, who's who's really left out of all these conversations because he's with a different promoter and a different network, and that's Terrence Crawford. Um, do yeah. you do you see him mixing in with the PBC welterweights in the next year or so, or are boxing politics likely to stand in the way of that? Uh, honestly, there's no telling. There is no telling. Uh, what's going to stand in the way of him getting in the mix with the rest of us? I can tell you firsthand. I know he wants to. I know uh, that you know we, him and I spoke uh, before my fight was made with Danny Garcia. So it was probably about a year ago now that we spoke, and he said that he was moving up to 147 and he wanted Danny Garcia. That's the guy that he lost to in the Olympic trials. Most people don't know that. So mm. that's the fight that he would love to have. Um, you know, it doesn't matter that, that uh, Danny has two losses. Danny is still a top welterweight. And, uh, you know, I think he's going to prove that against uh, Adrian Granados. 
uh, and um, then he'll be right back there in the mix. But I I personally think that Terrence Crawford is not only one of the top welterweights in the world, he's one of the top fighters in the world, mm-hmm. and he has not been given uh, enough credit uh, for what he can do in the ring and, uh, and, and how entertaining he can be on any given night in the ring. So one thing, we already touched on this. There was about, I think, 46,000 or so people uh, in the stadium on Saturday night. Uh, I've been there. I've done a couple of Manny Pacquiao fights, a Canelo fight there. It's it's a terrific venue, great atmosphere. Um, how was that atmosphere on Saturday night? And and I'm curious as to what your favorite experience was as a fighter in terms of an atmosphere at one of your fights. You know, I'll tell you firsthand, my, my favorite moment of the night being there at uh, Jerry's World was actually being able to meet Jerry. Uh, mm-hmm. was my first time meeting him and you know, to my surprise, he, he knew about me, he knew who I was, and, you know, was I, I was thrilled to be able to talk to him. Um, a, a little bit of a, a star-striking moment for me. Uh, outside of that, to see we, – we our desk was right there by the entrance. And so to see people coming in so early was awesome. I'm, I'm mm. used to being at big fights, and people really not filling in until – you know, halfway point of the co-main event. You know, people usually don't show up until that main event is about to get in the ring. But last night, it looked, or yeah, last night it looked like everyone was really, really excited and thrilled about the moment that they were about to experience. And um, that to me was was really uh, special and, and exciting to see everyone really just show up, um, not just for uh, Errol Spence, but also for Danny, or uh, excuse me, Mikey Garcia. And, uh, and 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 I think the fans really made it a, a great night. One of the things I'm, I've always been curious about is how aware are you when you're in the ring, in the zone, of the crowd and of the atmosphere? And has there been a fight where you've sort of been in the ring and felt the atmosphere and the buzz from the crowd? You know, you hear it all. I, 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 it's not just me. I think at this point, uh, most of us fighters are experienced enough to be able to, um, you know, stay level-headed but also uh, hear what, what the crowd is saying and how they're reacting. You know, a lot of times it does feed you and give you, give you energy. Uh, if you're anything like me, you don't, you don't, uh, you don't worry about what the people are saying. That's, that's bad. If you're saying, you know, hit shit over the head with a, you know, with the right hand, you know, whatever it is that they're saying, you know, it always, you know, it should always feed you energy and, and, and push you forward in the fight. All right, so so ending on a fun note, uh, we saw some very interesting outfits on the Spence Garcia broadcast. Uh, you had your bright green suit and your hat that drew a lot of attention. There was Deontay Wilder with those giant shoulder pads with fringes. Uh, and then you had the Charlos wearing outfits I wouldn't dare attempt to describe. Um, you might be biased here, uh, but who gets the best dressed award? You know what? Uh, it depends on what you like. If you if you're about fashion and you're about style, you 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 will go with the Charlo brothers. Me personally, I would never attempt to wear the things that they wear. <laughs> however, I, I however I look at those guys, I'm just like like man, like you got a you got a lot of courage wearing that, and it, it looks good on you. They don't mind being flashy. Right. Uh, outside of that, if you if you uh, if you appreciate a, a good suit, someone that uh, is dressing and, you know, every top to bottom, it all makes sense and it all coordinates and, and looks really professional, then you then you, then you uh, you side with Sean Porter. And um, I, I, I have a tailor, and I told him um, I was getting ready for the weigh-in 
show, and I told him today I'm going to solidify myself as the best-dressed boxer in the world. And um, that was not even the suit that you guys saw on the night of the fight. So mm. if uh, if you guys appreciated this suit on the night of the fight, I think I am um, 100% the number one dressed fighter in the world. So, so you're saying <laughs> that there's more where this came from? Oh, there's plenty more where this came from. <laughs> tune in to FS1. I'm on the Inside PBC show. And uh, you, you get a good taste of it uh, just about uh, every other week. I gotta ask actually before we finish. Um, uh, you know, you sure seem like you were having a great time on the broadcast uh, last night in the pay per view. You're doing the FS1 shows. How are you enjoying the broadcast side of your career? I, I'm absolutely loving it. I'm I'm just so uh, blessed and fortunate to have an opportunity to do it. Uh, I'm glad that uh, Fox is really they they they've taken a chance with the fighters. Um, none of us, to the best of my knowledge, have any formal training to do this. So for me to have an opportunity to do this and for Fox to take a big chance on me and uh, and, and say, go out there and, 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 and do do what you do, uh, and it seems like they're trusting me more, uh, I'm having a blast with it, and uh, I'm looking forward to more of it. Uh, definitely after boxing, but I'm going to try to hang in there and keep doing it as much as I can over the, the course of, of, of my boxing career as well. Awesome. Well, yeah, look, as we said, there's certainly plenty to uh, opportunity to see Sean Porter outside the ring, but we also want to see a lot more of you inside the ring. There's a lot going on in and around the welterweight division right now. We're looking forward to seeing how it all shakes out for you. Um, and hopefully uh, you'll be back on the podcast soon to be able to talk about some of your upcoming fights. Uh, Sean, thanks so much indeed for joining us. We really appreciate it. You got it. Thank you. You guys have a great one. You too. You thanks, too. Sean. All right, great stuff there from Showtime, Sean Porter. Uh, before we get to the news, let's dip quickly into the Showtime Boxing Podcast mailbag. Remember that you can send us questions or comments via Twitter using the hashtag AskShowPod. Uh, again, that's A-S-K-S-H-O-P-O-D. Uh, and a note that we usually record the podcast on Sunday for release on Monday and some of you sent questions this week asking for our thoughts heading into the Spence Garcia fight. And so timing wise, that sort of question won't work. So just keep that in mind going forward. Uh, but for this week, we did get two questions that weren't time sensitive in that way. Uh, both of them asking for top five lists from us, uh, coincidentally enough. Uh, I'll ask you the first one, Kieran. It comes from Carlos uh, at Artist Vega. He asks, can you name five fights you would love to see this year if we were living in a perfect world? Uh, so, okay, look, we've talked a lot about Errol Spence today. Um, I'll stay with him. Uh, with all due deference to our guest, uh, like everyone else, I want to see Errol Spence against Terence Crawford. Um, yep. And that's absolutely a fight that you have to imagine a perfect world for. Because yes. <laughs> for all the reasons that we touched on when we were talking to Sean, Terence right now is on the outside looking in as everything else is happening because of boxing politics. Um, but that's that feels like that's sort of the con generational contest that sort of needs to needs to happen at some point. Um, uh, another fight that you and I have talked about recently uh, that I would like to see is Sergei Kovalev against Dmitry Bivol hmm. um, for light heavyweight supremacy. Um, this isn't the third one I'll sort of put with an asterisk, although I don't think we'll see that because of politics. Uh, there's every reason why we could see Kovalev Alexander Vojdik, and I'd be very happy to see that. Mm -hmm. um, here's a slightly nerdy one. Um, we talked about Noya Inoue earlier. 
Uh, I could picture Susaket or Rungvisai moving up to 118 pounds um, in the not too distant future. He's a big, solid lad. And if he does, I'd love to see him against Noya anyway. There's yeah. no talk about that being on the horizon at all, but um, we are, it's a perfect world situation. So we're thinking about that. Um, of all the possible matchups, among the big three heavyweights, and who knows where, where we're going to end up with that. I think probably Anthony Joshua and Deontay Wilder remains my favorite matchup out of, out of all of those, but you could also mix and match any one of the, of the big three there, and that would be number four. And I guess I'll also pick one that I think we probably will see, and quite possibly see before the year is out, um, and that is Triple G Canelo 3. Mm-hmm. Um, Normally, uh, quite often with fights, you know, that 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 stretch into th- uh, trilogies, you think, oh, maybe we don't need to see the third one again, or maybe we don't need to see it so soon. But those first two fights were really terrific, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, there's you, there's so little to choose between them still. And I would want to see that sooner rather than later. Agree, and and it was one of those. Uh sequences of two fights that got better from the first to the second so right. you're curious if the third could somehow even top those yeah you named uh, a lot of the fights i would have named except that uh i might have gone with nary as the opponent for inoue sure. in my perfect world although yeah i, I wouldn't mind Cat uh, against inoue that'd be pretty great too uh and then just a, one that crossed my mind uh that would be a lot of fun jaime mungia and jared hurd that that oh, could be a hell of a fight. Um, so that that might round out my top five, but most of what was in, in your top five would also be in mine. Yeah, actually, Jaime Munguia against a lot of people just by definition <laughs> is is fun. That's that's sure. a good one. Um, uh, here's a second question. This is for you to answer, Eric. It is from at VegCarl1, um, and he says uh, Jorge El Travieso Arce not only wins the award for best ring entrance ever, as he did he does, uh, but he. Uh, <laughs> Though Nassim Hamed might take issue with that. Right. Um, but he also enters my list of best pound-for-pound pound boxing nicknames ever. This is a good one. I like this question. Can I get your list of top five pound-for-pound pound boxers nicknames? And he arbitrarily says that Descendant of Tamerlane, <laughs> the clear present leader in the clubhouse, cannot be included. <laughs> yeah, he had, to, he had to put that stipulation in there. It's very <laughs> limiting. Um, you know, I never even looked into what El Travieso means before. Uh, so I, I looked it up for this. It seems like it means naughty, naughty guy, I guess, uh, is what an yeah. El Travieso yeah. is. That, it fits. No idea. <laughs> um, so I'll start with one that is not on my top five list, but I just have to mention it. It's such a bad nickname that it's kind of great. Uh, do you do you remember Juan Lascano's nickname? Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. The Hispanic causing panic. Yes, that is it. It is painfully bad, but it's so bad that it's good. I kind of like it. Um, all right, not in my top five though. My top five in no particular order. Um, I know that Tommy Hearns is better known as the Hitman, but that's become a pretty generic nickname over the mm-hmm. years. His original nickname, the Motor City mm-hmm. Cobra. That's badass. I love that. Um, I love Manos de Piedra, Hands of Stone. Mm-hmm. In either language, that one works. That's a classic. Here's a simple one that I love. Smokin' Joe Frazier. It's effortless right. and perfect. Less is more sometimes. Uh, also, I have to put Hector Macho Camacho on the list. It's very obvious when your name Camacho. Uh, you know, it didn't, didn't take a whole lot of creativity to get there, but it's one of those nicknames that sounds perfect and really enhances his marketability. Um, and last... 
I'll go with the Bayon Bleeder for Chuck Wepner. Yeah. Uh, a nickname doesn't have to be flattering to be great. Uh, that's just a great nickname. I also considered uh, James Bonecrusher Smith. Uh, yep. Not much else about him was memorable, but it's a great nickname. Um, and I'll just add uh, that I, I have a personal rule. Uh, I don't go for nicknames that come after the last name, like Badu Jack the Ripper. That's not yeah. acceptable to me. That doesn't work. Right. <laughs> right. Hey, I've got one in that um, Hispanic causing panic vein. Okay. It's always been one of my favorites. So, so bad. It's almost good. Half man, half amazing. <laughs> that That is a good one. Yeah, it, it, it always kind of like makes me think of RoboCop, uh, which like the slogan was like part man, part machine, all cop, half man, half amazing kind of make it puts me in that vein. Right. And there was a uh, there was a, a, a lightweight champion back in like 1939, 1940, uh, Lou Jenkins. Hmm. Um, and he traded variously as the Sweetwater Swatter, which is where he was from. Ooh. But. The other nickname that he had, which I was just like, wow, that's hardcore, apparently was The Living Death. Ooh. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that's that's like, that's a hardcore nickname. Yeah, that's a guy you don't mess with. <laughs> exactly, right? All right. Uh, that's a great question. I love that. Uh, okay. Not a ton of other noteworthy news in the boxing world the past week, but there are a few things we should hit on, uh, including another recent fight card. Uh, Friday night from Philadelphia, uh, Tevin Farmer won a competitive unanimous decision over John O'Carroll. Uh, Katie Taylor pleased the St. Patrick's Day weekend crowd with a ninth round stoppage of Rose Valanti. And Maciej Shulensky survived two ninth round knockdowns to win a decision over local favorite Gabe Rosado. A uh, hot drama down the stretch of that fight. Uh, and what else stood out to you from that card? Or maybe it was that particular fight. Well, that was certainly part of it. But I'll hit on the other fights first quickly just that uh katie taylor looked good perhaps we'll talk about her more as the claressa shields christina hammer fight approaches and and we'll find ourselves talking about the best women's fighters in the game because she's part of that mix tevin farmer was very tevin farmer which is to say slick and enjoyable to watch but a little inconsistent and never made the fight look easy that's often the case with him um, but certainly the show stealer was Soletki rosado uh, as we predicted it, it would be I'm not sure what Rosado was waiting for, why he was right. content to get box silly round after round instead of trying to make it a brawl and go punch for punch. He basically fought the wrong fight 80% of the way, but then such drama in round nine and credit to Zelensky for surviving because he was really buzzed uh, he was. From, from, from that right hand all the way until the final bell, really. He seemed to be struggling to get uh, his legs all the way back under him. Uh, even though he lost, I think Rosado's stock went up a little or maybe to phrase it another way he did enough in defeat to get another opportunity yeah yeah the amazing thing about that that ninth round is that so often you know when a guy's like up against it and he you know he comes back to to, to score knockdowns like that you you almost see it coming like he'll he'll just clip a guy with the punch that ends up putting him down or or he'll set him up nicely and none of that seemed to be happening to me uh, all through that ninth round he looked to be winging tired looking right hands that Shulensky was 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 slipping quite easily and then just that short one came out of the blue and boy when it landed like you said uh, Shulensky was well and truly uh, short-circuited there wasn't he um uh you know look the thing with Rosado look he may not be the most talented boxer in the world out there but by god he's one of those guys you have to put a stake through his heart to stop him uh, he will he will give everything uh, you know, right till the till the very end, uh, and that's I think one of the reasons why he's such a popular boxer. As uh, as a wise man once said, 
He is indeed good boy. <laughs> there you go. And as you were describing the uh, right hand, uh, did I did I hear a slapping sound of you punching your oh, fist? Yes, into your... actually. So that's, yes. so that's that's how you know that you're that you're getting into the podcast when you start uh, acting out the throwing of the punches as you're talking. Yeah, that's right. Uh, sound effects, too. I tell you, this podcast has it all. Um, all right, what else we got? Uh, the next Showbox card was announced this week. Uh, it will take place on April 5th in Las Vegas. Uh, we will see three Mayweather promotion prospects in action. Angelo Leo against Neil Tabanio at uh, £122. Javier Martinez against John Moraldi and Andres Cortez against Jamal Dyer. Both of those at £130. We will go in depth on this card in two weeks but any initial knee-jerk thoughts eric i don't know much about any of these prospects so i'll certainly have to study up before we preview the card all i can say for now looking at the records looking at quick little bio sketches they look like good prospects on paper and if i know gordon hall's showbox matchmaking yeah we'll learn we'll learn a little something about how real at least one or two of them are on april 5th yeah uh, last thing to hit on, a few fights on the schedule this coming weekend on Friday, March 23rd from Costa Mesa, California on ESPN. We have heavyweights Kubrat Pulev versus Bogdan Dinu. Uh, and also in the co-feature, Jesse Magdaleno in his first fight back 11 months after losing to Isaac Dogbe. He takes on Rico Ramos. Uh, and then on Saturday from Oxen Hill, Maryland on FS1, the Peterson brothers are in action. Lamont Peterson versus Sergei Lipinets and Anthony Peterson versus Arhenis Mendez. Is there a fight from those two cards uh, that you have your eye on? Yeah, nothing super leaps out, but there, there are some decent ones there. Uh, you know, both the Peterson brother fights are pretty good, especially Lamont against Sergei Lipinets. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's a legitimately interesting contest. And, you know, and Kubrat Pulev's one to keep his eye on. He needs to keep winning because being tied to ESPN means that he is by definition in the Tyson Fury stakes. So, right. um, you know, be keen to, to, to keep an eye on him and see uh, how he does. All right, that will do it. Remember to send questions to... Hashtag Ask Showpod over Twitter. Uh, we will be back next week with all kinds of uh, boxing news from around the world, including from Deontay Wilder's Tuesday press conference, at which he will announce his immediate and long-term future and the network on which it will be playing out. Uh, until then, thanks very much for listening.